I want to introduce Gateway Ken Christopher, and he's going to read our scripture for us. <laughs> that's, that's getting really obnoxious. <laughs> Ken is going to read our scripture for us today, so take a deep breath, because we're going to do some spiritual aerobics. We're going to be reading today from 2 Corinthians, and this is an epic passage of scripture, so I needed somebody epic to read this for us this morning. Let's stand out of reverence for God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, said the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, say the Lord Almighty. Second Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfect in holiness, out of reverence for God. You may be seated. Thank you, Ken. Okay, a number of years ago, when I was a young man, someone told me one time that they thought I looked like Jim Palmer, a former pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, and I carried that around with me for about 14 years, and then somebody told me that I looked like Bill Nye, the science guy, and I, <laughs> I forgot that the next day. So, I've got some assistants up here with me this morning. We're going to be talking about holiness, but... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right, you guys did not get a microphone, so I'm going to have you introduce yourselves. Nothing elaborate. Just tell us your name. I don't want anything else. Okay. I'm Tiffany. I'm Mary-Kate. Okay. So Tiffany, <laughs> Tiffany and Mary-Kate are going to act as assistants this morning, and it's a small job. All they have to do is two different things. I'm going to group some things up here on the table, and they're going to have to find the one thing that stands out from all the others. They're going to find the one thing that stands out because the words that the ancient words, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the, and the ancient words that they use that we translate holy have really two primary meanings. The first and principal meaning for that word holy is separate, other, set apart completely unique. So I'm going to put some items out here, girls, and you're going to find the one item in all of these things. Can you all see, can everybody out there see what I'm, I'm putting up here? I'll move them out here. So I'm, I'm putting out some things. You're going to find the things that go together and put them in that bowl, and then you're going to find the one thing that stands out and put it over here on this table, if you would. So let's have dramatic drum roll and girls if you would okay put yes all right what yo okay 
<laughs> Mary, <laughs> Mary Kate, what have you done? Can you explain it to our television audience? We put the yellow thing on <laughs> It's called a squash. <laughs> okay. okay and, we put the balls in the bowl right there. Okay, but notice there's a lot of diversity here. I mean, this is a color is black. You can see <laughs> blue plastic. Uh, this is a white hard baseball strings on it. These are two plastic golf balls. They're, they're really all different, but they do, right? They fit in a category. And then completely separate, a completely different thing was, you know, the squash. All right, so now what I want you to do, yeah, I want you to each take a bottle. You can just put the microphone down, Mary Kate, and pour your bottles in these two containers that were supposed to be exactly the same size. Thank you, Rhonda. <laughs> and then, if you would, pour. Very good. Tiffany, would you pour exactly half in that and exactly half in that? So now I'm going to give you some things. So Mary Kate, what we have now, describe what we have now in these two bottles for our television audience, if you would. The same amount of water from three water bottles. Okay. Now I'm going to give you some things to put into this. And you want to be the putter-inner, and Tiffany, you'll be the stirrer. Okay. So why don't you just pour about just three heaping helpings of rice vinegar and stir it in, if you would, Tiffany. And then, that's good, yeah. No, just turn it over and just pour. Yeah, all right, you're pouring in. Tiffany's stirring a little more, that's great. Now let's add some soy sauce, if you would. So throw that in there as well. Just give, give us a little heaping helping. That's good. I want you to put some hydrogen peroxide in it now, <laughs> if you would. So that's good. A heaping helping. A little more hydrogen peroxide for flavoring. And then <laughs> this is from... Oh, now I want you to try to crack an egg and drop it in there, shells and all. Don't... Well, I'd crack it right here. <laughs> We're going to get... Just drop it in there and let her squish that up really good. This is now, if you would, Mary-Kate, this is dirt from my front yard, so just <laughs> throw that in there as well. The whole thing, just toss it in there. Yeah. This is just another little bit of water to put in there. That's from our toilet at home, so go ahead and throw that in. <laughs> now, I want you to know, but that's special toilet water because it's Pastor Ed's toilet, so that would make it... <laughs> That would make it a different kind of toilet water. Now, I would like for one of you to volunteer to drink this and one of you to volunteer to drink this. <laughs> okay, thank you girls very much. All right, so. <laughs> this illustrates profoundly, I might add, the second definition of the concept of holiness, the old school concept of holiness, which is pure absolute perfection, morally, in this case, waterily pure. And that's what the Bible means when it says that God is holy. It means that there is this one category of things, this very large category. It's a diverse category. It includes hydrogen, and it includes maple trees, and it includes George, and it includes the sun, 
and it includes the Milky Way galaxy, and all of that is in one really big, really long list, really big category over here, and then over here all by himself is God, holy, completely and utterly different, unique, profoundly so, to the degree that he's mysterious to us in many, many ways. What the Bible also means by that is on this side there is impurity and hydrogen peroxide and dirt and even water from Pastor Ed's toilet. On this side is moral purity, unassailable character, perfection, faithfulness, unmanipulatable, if that's a word, God. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about holiness. Check this out. Here's the shocker. If you miss everything else, don't miss this, but we got a couple of those points today. Here's the shocker. God intends for us to be holy as well. God intends for us to be like himself. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the more we understand about holiness and the more we understand about God, the more we're tempted to shrink back from that expectation. I mean, God, have you seen me? That's going to be an impossible deal, turning me into something like this, something holy. But that is God's expectation. Virtually every page of the Bible, virtually every story in the Bible, nearly every encounter with God leaves us with this exact same impression. And Jesus couldn't have been clearer. In his famous sermon, Jesus said, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then Paul himself, the guy who wrote what Ken read for us, he recognized how central holiness is. Paul said at one point in another letter to another group of Christians, God saved us and called us to a holy life. That was the point. That was the purpose. There can be little doubt that God wants us to be holy. So over the next three weeks, we're going to try to bring this old concept to life. We're going to talk about what holiness is, in our lives practically, why it's so important. We'll talk about how it happens. How do we get it? How do we miss it? Today we're going to start by looking at what motivates us to be holy. What drives that engine in us? And we're going to learn three don't miss this principles about holiness. So if you dial out at any point, dial back into the don't miss this principles. Let's begin at the end of the passage that Ken read for us this morning. Chapter 7, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. This is one of those verses where Paul pauses at the top of an explanation and he gives us a breathtaking view of things if we'll just take the time to look at it. So uh, listen again. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Hear this. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So don't miss this principle number one. Our holiness is motivated, first of all, by what God offers us. Since we have these promises, let's purify ourselves. Our holiness is motivated. What drives us, first of all, are the promises of God, what God offers us. Now, look, this sounds kind of mercenary. It sounds like we're using God. We're not. Here's the deal. We want to be happy. We want what's best for us in the long run. And sometimes as Christians, we think we, we ought to try to avoid that. But that's how God designed us. 
God designed us with these desires. And he designed us so that our deepest desires and needs are met in him. As has often been said, each of us has a God-shaped space, a vacuum, at the center of who we are, and only God can fill that. God offers us our best shot at fullness and at true happiness. Our holiness is motivated by what God offers us. If you read part of that that Ken read for us this morning, the last part of verse 16 through verse 18, listen to what God offers us. Paul is mashing together several Old Testament quotes, and he comes up with this. I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God offers us an intimate connection with him. Literally, God offers us a relationship with him, not religion. What God offers is a relationship with him. It's interesting, you can read the last part of verse 17, and you'd see it if we read it slowly this morning, last part of verse 17 and 18, and it sounds, even though it's clear God's offering us a relationship, it sounds kind of conditional. It sounds almost like God is saying, now touch no unclean thing, and then I will receive you, and that's sometimes how we hear what God says to us. Hear this, this offer is not conditional, it's consequential. Let me say that again, the offer is not conditional, it's consequential. As a consequence of our separating ourselves, as a consequence of our being holy, as a consequence of our spending time on this table, God's blessing moves to us and through us because that's where he is. We stand at a distance when we stand at a distance from him when we're on that table. Then we cannot have God's blessing because he's not there. It's not conditional, it's just a natural, inevitable consequence. He offers us his presence. He offers us a real relationship with him. But we have to be where he is in order to benefit from that relationship. Our hearts often get confused about exactly this. And our desire for happiness, and teenagers, don't miss this, and our desire for happiness in our own good, we often end up chasing short-term solutions or immediate relief, forgetting that connection to God is the source of all that's really good and fulfilling in our lives. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts this. This is awesome. C.S. Lewis said in his incredible sermon, The Weight of Glory, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. This is our problem. Not that we want to be happy. Our problem is that we are far too easily pleased. We please ourselves by those things that don't ultimately please us. 
When we remember what God offers us, we are motivated to be holy. We are motivated to be more like Him. When we remember what God offers us, we are motivated to spend more and more of our time on this table. And as a result, we are more and more in a position to benefit from what He offers us. But that's not all. We really can't stop there. If we do, we genuinely stop short of holiness. When our understanding stops there, we don't become the people that God designed us to be. Don't miss this principle number two, which is also in chapter 7, verse 1. Don't miss this principle number two, is that our holiness is also motivated by a reverence for God. Our holiness is motivated by what God offers us, but it's also at the same time motivated by our reverence for God. It seems to me that increasingly today we have diminished the sense of awe and reverence for God. Some of that is, I don't know, some of that is how casual our society is, some of that is the fault of people like me. We have created churches that maybe we go too far in the, hey, welcome y'all, tell somebody some food that disgusts you, which is awesome, that was my idea. And let's, okay, girls, pour in some hydrogen peroxide. Here's water from Pastor Ed's toilet. And we'd get really casual, and we're ah, funny, and Jesus is your friend. And we forget how awesome God is. We have a casual understanding both of God's power and of his expectation of us. Even when we have a sense that God can bring benefit to our lives, we've lost the equally important sense that God is not to be trifled with. All right, teenagers, I especially want you to listen to this. And boys and girls, listen to this if you can understand it. I mean, you can understand it, but dial in. I read a really interesting article this week about this, and I want you to hear this. Here's what the article said. I'm going to quote. Researcher Christian Smith's book, soul-searching, colon, the religious and spiritual lives of American teenagers, concludes that many young American adults have a faith characterized by, and this is a quote from the researcher Christian Smith, moralistic therapeutic dualism. I know that's a mouthful. He explains it. According to this view of God, if we live good lives and we're kind to others, then God will provide therapeutic benefits to us like self-esteem and happiness. Other than that, God's not really much involved in our world. The article goes on. This view of God has a profound effect on prayer. Smith found that American teens personally prayed frequently. 40% of American teenagers pray daily or more. Only 15% said they rarely or never pray. However, their motivation for prayer largely focused on meeting their own needs. Some of the teens interviewed said these things, and then these are, these are quotes from this researcher's research. If I ever have a problem, I go to pray. Another quote. It helps me deal with problems. It, it calms me down for the most part. Another quote. Praying just makes me feel more secure, like there's something helping me out. Another teenager quote, I would say prayer is an essential part of my success. The article ends, they seem to have no sense of reverence for God. While these sentiments are wonderful and mostly true, 
as far as they go. They don't go far enough. They treat God like a vending machine or like a wonderful, kind grandfather or like a great counselor. But these sentiments do not see God as something completely different, something we cannot ever really contain or control or even understand. Nor do they see God as morally and absolutely pure and expecting the same of us. When we begin to understand God's holiness, we are moved to revere Him. This motivates us to be more holy, to be more like Him. This motivates us to spend time on this table when we see God for what He really is. Right, I think before we move on, this is just a little an aside, I think we should make note of what is not listed here or anywhere else as a proper motivation for holiness. What's not listed as a motivation for holiness? Did you see it? Guilt. I grew up in a Baptist church in the deep south. And many of you grew up in Catholic churches. And Baptists and Catholics, especially in the era that I grew up in, in the 1830s, Baptists and Catholics, there was some animosity. They didn't necessarily like one another. We didn't think we had anything in common, but we had one thing in common. We were good at guilt. We were good at giving people lists of do's and don'ts. Jesus wasn't so good at that, but we were. But guilt doesn't work at least not for very long, most of us have felt the white-hot horror of guilt, and we've promised ourselves, I'll never do that again, and then we've broken that promise. That's because guilt is not a sufficient motivator. It cannot sustain a pursuit of holiness. Our holiness is motivated by our recognition of what God offers us, and also, on the other hand, by a reverence for who He is. All right, there's one more. Don't miss this principle. Holiness is something we grow in through discipline and effort. Holiness is something we grow in through discipline and effort. There really is no such thing as standing still in our spiritual lives. If we are stagnant, if we're standing still, then we're losing ground. Look, You've had this experience. I know you have. You know what I mean. Many of us have spent months or years disconnected from God and from fellowship. During those times, we may feel a gentle absence or even an ache, but we're just too busy to do anything about it. And then a crisis happens. Or maybe we end up somewhere where we sense God's presence, where something is stirring, and we're reminded. We're drawn in. We're reminded that we've moved away. That's when we see the ground we've lost. You cannot stand still in your spiritual life. You are either growing in your godlikeness, spending increasing amounts of time on this table, or you are moving away from Him, and you're circling that table. Holiness is something we grow in. Now look, the Bible makes it clear that holiness is a work that God does in our lives. There's too much evidence to marshal here, but just suffice it to say, Jesus at one point prayed for us, literally, in a prayer that's recorded by John. He said, I pray for those who will one day believe. He says, sanctify them, Father. That word sanctify comes from the same word, when you read the Bible, know this, it comes from the same word as the word holy. It's almost like Jesus is saying, holyfy them, Father. 
Make them holy because that's what God does. He's the source of holiness. Our holiness is his work in our lives. But, big but, pause for dramatic effect. Having said that, having said that holiness is the work of God, we are not robots. And God is a gentleman. He will not force holiness on us. We must participate. We must pursue it. In various places, the Bible speaks of surrendering or fighting the good fight or training ourselves like an athlete or denying ourselves and many more. And all of these are concepts that address our disciplined effort to make ourselves holy. This is something we must do. And here in our passage, did you notice Paul says, purify yourself from everything that contaminates. The result being that we will, in his words, perfect or complete holiness in our lives. But make no mistake, it's a process with which we must be engaged if we want to have a relationship with God. There's no standing still. If we want to have a relationship with God, we will be engaged in the process of purifying ourselves. We will be trying, surrendering, denying in order to hang around at this table. So, holiness is motivated by what God offers us. Holiness is motivated by our reverence for God. And holiness is something we grow in through discipline and effort. All right, before we end today, let's jump back to the beginning of the passage that Ken read for us real quick. Paul begins this passage by offering a serious encouragement. I bet you noticed it. Related to our holiness, Paul says this, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. So what does that mean? I mean, it certainly doesn't mean for us to reject our relationships with people that don't share our faith. In fact, Paul goes to great lengths in many places to tell us how to love people who don't share our faith. This is the same Paul who said, I become all things to all people so that I might win them to the faith. This is the same Paul who, if you're a Christian married to someone who's a non-Christian, advises you to remain in the marriage. So what then? Well, yoking is an agricultural practice of putting two animals together in one instrument. Usually it's a, a wooden instrument that would go around the necks of each animal, they would be held together, binding them together. It allowed them to combine their weight to pull a plow, for instance, through difficult ground. Paul is suggesting that we should not put ourselves in that kind of connection, in the closest kind of association with someone, unless they share our faith perspective. Honestly, I think he has something like marriage in mind here. I think he's offering a warning, an encouragement to those of us who are not married that we should pursue that kind of connection only with someone who's pulling the plow in the same direction spiritually, who has the same kind of heart for God that we do. I think he also may be thinking about aligning ourselves with false teachers, people who are teaching wacky stuff. Interesting, but wacky. This is what had happened to the Corinthians. They had yoked themselves to false teachers and they had gotten off track spiritually. But it's interesting to me, don't miss this, it's interesting to me that he only states here a general principle. We're always wanting to lay out the specifics. We're always wanting to make rules. Don't do this, don't do that. Here's the principle, here's what that means. 
You can't play cards on Sunday. That was literally a rule in my home when I was growing up. You can't cut the grass on Sunday. I loved that rule, by the way. We're always making specific rules. These people, not these people. This activity, not this activity. Paul only gives us a general principle. He doesn't lay out specifics as in do this, don't do that. He's content to let the specific application come from the Spirit's guidance for each of us individually. I like the way one New Testament scholar summarized this idea. Uh, Dr. Murray Harris said this, the principle might be expressed like this, do not form any relationship, whether temporary or permanent, with unbelievers that would lead to a compromise of your Christian standards or values or that would jeopardize consistency of Christian witness. So why? Why such a separation? Wouldn't it be possible if we followed Paul's advice here that we might miss out on some kind of relationship that might be advantageous to us? Couldn't we miss out on, say, a romantic relationship or maybe a very profitable business venture? Why such an encouragement? Why? Because we're holy. And no matter what we might get from the relationship we're contemplating, it's not worth the cost to us if it compromises our holiness. We're called by God for that purpose. We're destined for that destiny. It's who we are. It's what God is doing in our lives. And if we pursue anything else, we are working against God and His purposes. Our best and our good is always found on this table. We are always in danger when we lean toward that table. Or when we get as close as we can to it because we're afraid we might miss something. Yesterday was my birthday. Thank you, those of you who... I recognize that applause. You are essentially saying, I'm so glad he actually made it. So... <laughs> Yesterday was my birthday, and I was 29 yesterday for the 31st time, and I was reminded yesterday of something I heard years ago, so I scoured the internet searching for it. Richard Halverson was the former U.S. Senate chaplain, and he used to challenge people frequently when he spoke with the following image. I want you to hear this. This is a quote from Richard Halverson. You're going to meet an old man or old woman someday down the road, 10, 30, 50 years from now. She'll be waiting there for you. You'll be catching up with him or her. What kind of old man are you going to meet? He may be a seasoned, soft, gracious fellow. A gentleman who's grown old gracefully, surrounded by a host of friends, friends who call him blessed because of what he's meant to their life. Or he may be a bitter, disillusioned, dried-up old buzzard without a good word for anyone, soured, friendless, and alone. That old man will be you. He'll be the composite of everything you do, say, and think today and tomorrow. His mind will see in a mold that you have made by your beliefs. His heart will be turning out what you've been putting into it. Every little thought, every deed you do goes into this old man. Every day, in every way, you are becoming more and more like yourself. 
when we live our lives leaning toward this table, investigating its contents, exploring its detours, oh, that's a squash, and it's been in the Allen's refrigerator for too long. When you're dissatisfied by anything else, then our lives will grow larger and more gracious and more and more like God himself. But if we pursue that table, examining its contents and quenching our thirst with this readily available water mixed with some questionable contents, then the old woman inside of us gets smaller and drier and harder and crabbier and more self-centered. We were made to be holy. What prevents you from leaning more that way this morning? Whatever it is, whatever it is, do what you must to purify yourself. Let's pray. Father, I have never before wanted to be a squash. But this morning I do. I'm even reminded, Lord Jesus, that you offered us water, living water, fresh, bubbling up from within us. Water from which, having drunk, we will never be thirsty again. Honestly, Lord, this morning, I want to pray especially for our teenagers. I pray, God, that their desires will not be too small or too weak. That they will not spend these next years of their lives pursuing lesser things that do not ultimately satisfy. But I pray, Lord, that their desires will be large and mighty, that they will desire holiness and following hard after you. Lord, I want to pray also this morning for someone for whom this has been powerful and eye-opening. You have spoken. I pray that you will not stop. We give you permission to press past our defenses and change us. Lord, fill us as only you can. Fill us with the desire to be holy by showing us what you offer. How delightful and how good, how glorious. We also this morning, Father, we pause before you, amazed and even alarmed at how awesome you are, how terrifying, and yet how good. We love you. We thank you for pressing yourself on our hearts. And we thank you for motivating us to be holy. And we recognize this morning, we recognize this morning that sometimes, in spite of our best efforts, sometimes we have moved in that direction and we're, we're delighted. For those of us, Lord, who have spent weeks or months or years leaning in the wrong direction, I pray today that you would arrest us, that you would help us unyoke from all of those associations which have us connected to a table of activity that cannot benefit us in the long run. And Lord, most of all, we thank you today for your word because your word is truth. It has the power to change our lives. 
And we pray all of this in the strong name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.